Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Meal, One Workout, your new approach to food and fitness. Brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Butler and Don Sullivan. Hey, everybody. Aaron here. One Meal, One Workout, episode something. Don't remember the number. 18, that's what it is. Just looked and read it. Excited to have with us today a special guest and a couple of special guests. We'll tell you more about that in a minute. But first... First things first, always the best place to put first things. Don, what's happening in Jacksonville? Aaron, Jacksonville, I'm excited to say, is has that. Wow, let me start that over. They You're have so excited to say that they will be it. hosting Tough Mudder. No, don't interrupt me. I got it. It's cool. They're going to have Tough Mudder in Jacksonville. I'm very excited because my plans before included either driving five hours north and doing Tough Mudder in land with you, which I still plan on doing, or driving five hours south and doing it in. Tampa or Orlando or one of those places that I don't know anybody in. So Jacksonville is where we go to church every Sunday. Let's just say it's much more doable. When is that one going to be done? They have not announced it yet. Okay. I think the one in Atlanta is going to be in February again. So yeah. And on that note, they they kind of migrate South in the much colder months and then kind of go North as the spring thaws out parts of places. (laughs) <laughs> on that note, I am leaving in two days to drive to Virginia to do the Virginia Tough Mudder, nine-mile special forces obstacle course extravaganza of fun uh, with a semi-rehabilitated leg. My friend Joshua and I are going, and he is going to be on the show next Wednesday, and we will tell you all about it in detail, gory detail about how exciting and fun it was and all the, the craziness that went on. So don't want to go too much into about what the Tough Mudder is. If you don't know from our previous mentions, just Google it, Tough Mudder. That's M-U-D-D-E-R, and uh, you'll hear all about it next week. Mark. Yes, sir. iTunes. Yes. What do we need to do? Uh, uh, Go to iTunes. Uh, You actually have to have the iTunes app loaded, but go to the uh, iTunes, find us, find One Meal, One Workout, type it in the search there. You'll find us in the podcast section, and rate us. Give us a review if you want to, but just click the star rating. I was on there today. I was looking, and in their What's Hot section, in the top, I think, 50 it was, What's Hot, one of the shows was something put on by a high school that did two episodes a month ago, and they were in the top 40 because they had ratings. They didn't mm. have any quality. <laughs> in fact, their, their, their link was down. When I clicked on it, I couldn't even listen to it, but they had ratings. So go... Uh, one meal, one mile workout army. We know you're out there. Go to iTunes, rate us, leave a comment if you want, but rate us four or five stars or 17 uh, stars. and All uh, the stars you can rate. That's right. Let us know. Uh, let people know about us so that we can make that top 40 because it turns out it's pretty easy to do. And uh, let more wow. and then more people will find us when they're searching for podcasts. Can you do that from an iPhone? You know. No, it has to be the iTunes app on Windows. Oh. Steve Jobs still controlling our lives from the grave. Or Windows or Mac. Yeah, yeah. on some computer. Uh, Not Linux. Not Linux. Not Linux, no. That that sounds simple enough. Go to iTunes. Rate us. Let's see some ratings pop up there. All right, in the news, Mark actually came up with this article. It's kind of scary, kind of interesting. It's fascinating, but in the way that a car accident is fascinating. Yeah, fit2fat2fit.com. The guy's link's actually been down a couple of times over the last few days because it it hit some fairly big news media, and I think he had like a local's. Uh, internet provider hosting his website. So it was down due to bandwidth uh, over usage yesterday. And then earlier today, it was just flat out down. I don't know if it's up right now or not. I haven't clicked on it, but it's a, it's a personal trainer guy. Super, super, super fit. I mean, you know, low body fat, muscle bodybuilder, beach guy who decided he was going to not eat, not work out for six months and eat anything he wanted and get really fat. And put on and then, 75 pounds in six months. He's lost. He's gained 70 in the first five weeks. He's and then still he, working on it, too. And then he's, he's going to yet. he's going to reverse it in six months is his plan. So, A, he knows what it's like to be fat, and he can show people what he did to get healthy. That's and the plan. I think that's fascinating, actually. The idea was, I've always been healthy. I've, I've never been fat. I want to know. I'm a personal trainer. I deal with fat people every day. I want to know what it's like to be one of them. And I think that's great. Yep. And uh, people t- uh, talked about the fact that his blood pressure went up and his, his cholesterol was up. And he said, look, people live like this for years of their life. I can make it six months. And right. then I want to see what it's like to have to lose 70 or 80 pounds. So I, I think just pray it's he can brilliant. do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend his course of action, but I really right. think it's a good thing that somebody decided to do it. 
Well, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't, uh, envy him the task of losing it once he's got it on. Right. One good thing advantage he has is he knows how to work out. He's been disciplined in his life. A lot of people that have are really overweight have not been that disciplined in that area in their life before, like myself. Um, and he's still got a lot of muscle mass, so that'll help burn the calories. You know, he's not a, he's not a weenie beanie underneath the, the fat. But still, you know, he's, he says in the, one of the articles, the interview that I read with him, that he's starting to crave sodas now all the time. He can't go a day without drinking soda. So he called it soda. We call it Coke in Texas, regardless of the brand. Get but anyway, Coke. Uh, yeah, that's in the news. All right, so we're going to get uh, Jen and Laura on the line, queued up, all technical problems worked out, and get this interview rolling. We have with us today a couple of uh, uh, guests. We've got Jen Parrott, uh, a close friend of mine here from the Atlanta area. Say hi, Jen. Hello. And we also have with us Laura Field. Laura is coming to us from Chicago. Say hello to everyone, Laura, if you would, please. Hello. Laura is with us from the University of Chicago. She um, she has graciously agreed to be on our show tonight and talk to us about celiac disease. And she's a specialist in that area and was recommended by that organization to, to be on our show. And Jen is just the other half of that equation. Jen is uh, a person that is dealing with celiac disease. And so we have... the experts from both end of the spectrum tonight we've got the the medical expert and the person uh, the you know the personal touch of it so i thought jim may have some questions that don mark or i might not think to ask and so uh we may end up just sitting here listening to a brilliant conversation between two smart ladies i don't know but that'd be fine with me uh, i listen to myself talk enough during the day anyway so anyway uh jen just take two minutes and tell us about yourself sure um my name is Jennifer, and um, I was diagnosed with celiac um, after being sick for about a year, which I think is actually not that long of a time for um, a diagnosis to happen in the celiac world. Um, that was about four years ago. All right. Now, do you have any kids or a husband? <laughs> I have both. Did you like that leading uh, question? That was skillful, wasn't it? <laughs> that was. Aaron has no idea if I have a husband or kids. Uh, no, I do. I have a husband and I have a daughter that's um, almost 16 months. Yeah, a beautiful little, beautiful little cherub of a child. And so, Laura, yes. tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, specifically, if you could kind of touch on your uh, medical background. Sure. I'm a registered dietitian at first. And just a little background of what that is, is anyone could call themselves a nutritionist, but a registered dietitian actually has to get some education and pass a certification to become a registered dietitian. I got my master's and did my internship to be a dietitian at Rush University, which is a medical center here in Chicago. Um, but then I started my career as a dietitian at the University of Chicago Medical Center, um, starting in in the trenches with celiac disease. So in my day-to-day as a dietitian, I counsel people with not only celiac disease, but other GI or gastrointestinal diseases. Um, just a dietitian is really important for patients dealing with celiac disease to understand not only just how to be gluten free, but also how to make appropriate choices. Hmm. Well, cool. So, is this may be a, a kind of a crazy question, but how many patients do you guys see there? I mean, you're, you're when I the way I found you was I googled authority on celiac disease, <laughs> <laughs> and you guys so, were in the top. So, sure. So, well, the University of Chicago Celiac Disease Center was um, we started our kind of mission to be the the forefront of celiac disease research and education in about 2001, I want to say, is where it, the inception. And um, we, for everything from research to education to just outreach and day-to-day management of everything celiac is what we do. So um, we have a preceptorship program where medical professionals all from across the country can come and learn about celiac disease. We have um, uh, leading researchers here at the University of Chicago trying to figure out a cure for celiac disease. And we also have lots of outreach, patient outreach programs, um, one being a care package program where we actually give a, it's a great combination of gluten-free foods and literature to new diagnosed celiac patients. So it's a, let, just a, let me jump in there. Jen, do sure, you know I was anything gonna, about that? No, I, I was actually going to jump in on that too. It was one of the things I wanted to say that I did hear from, um, 
a support group here that uh, you all did those welcome baskets and I um, contacted you guys and got a basket myself, which was very helpful because I was so confused and overwhelmed when I was first diagnosed. So it was great. So as someone who's received welcome basket, we love them. Good. That's great. Well, the point is, you know, when you are newly diagnosed with celiac disease, it is very overwhelming. And um, just to understand, it's not just, you know, avoiding wheat containing foods, but what food products to choose. And there's some not so good products and some better food products. So we try to provide a sampling of kind of, you know, a good array of a sort of, of options to choose. I have a question, if, and it may not be one you can answer, sure. um, but how does one decide they want to be the foremost authority on celiac disease? Well, there's a, um, I, it, I, I, as a dietitian, I'm just part of the medical team, so I'm not the, the founder, but our, our founder is Stefano Guandolini, who's um, a lead researcher, um, definite world-renowned expert on celiac, and he started this organization again in around 2001, and um you know, there was a lot, there's, there's a lot of centers that out, that are out there in the country and in the world. Um, and the, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot, and a lot of people that are, um, passing not so appropriate guidelines. So we wanted to make sure that we, you know, clarify those misconceptions and, you know, lead the research in, in celiac disease. That's really, I mean, that's just, I think it's phenomenal that that the uh, that a university would just take that take that on their shoulders and say we're going to come up with an answer for this and we're going to help people. I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. So um, for all the other celiacs out there, for Jen and all the other ones, thank you for <laughs> spearheading this and, and doing something. It seems like such a thing that's growing as far as the uh, public awareness of it and more and more people being diagnosed or at least becoming aware of what their issues are. So this, this podcast is, you know, kind of a health and fitness podcast in general. We talk about all kinds of things about exercise and diet and we've had a, a sleep specialist on, um, we've had, uh, gastric bypass guests on that kind of thing. So for those that may be listening that are just even saying right now, what is celiac disease? Can you give us just that, you know, succinct? Sure definition sure, of what it sure. is and what the symptoms are, that kind of thing? Of course, most definitely. So Thanks. celiac disease is an autoimmune condition. And autoimmune means that the body attacks itself. Um, it's a disease that primarily um, is found in the small intestine or the upper portion or the duodenum of the small intestine. So that's the first portion that connects with the stomach. Um, it's diagnosed by a, um, a biopsy. So a, it, a doctors perform an, um, EGD. So an upper endoscopy. And that's just a little scope or a camera that goes down the, the, um, mouth or throat into the, the stomach and the small intestine and takes biopsy. And the biopsies will show if your villi. So villi is, um, and everyone, you can't see me, but everyone uses their fingers when they talk about villi. But well, let's just have the guests do that. Everybody hold your hands up in front of you and wiggle them like you're doing spirit fingers. There you go. So, so villi are, um, they look like fingers and they're actually the absorptive layer of your small intestine. And in celiac disease, pathologists look to see if those villi are blunted or damaged in any way. So the diagnosis, really the only way of diagnosing celiac disease is through that biopsy. Um, there is a series of lab or blood tests that are done as a um, primary way of diagnosing it. So if these, there's an antibody or a blood um, level that is um, positive in celiac disease. So that's kind of the first line of diagnosis. If that it's the antibodies are called TTG or tissue transglutaminase antibodies. It's kind of a mouthful. So mm -hmm. if the TTG is elevated, then GI doctors would suggest to do a biopsy. Um, the other part of this is that it is a genetic disease. So there is a genetic tests that can be performed to rule out the disease. So 
40% of our population actually have the genes for celiac, but about 5% of those people will be positive. So it's not a diagnostic test to do a genetic test, but it actually does rule out the, for the disease. So meaning if, let's say, Jen's family, like her daughter, for instance, that we're mentioning, if she had the, it would probably be a good idea for her to have the genetic test because that would say if she should continue to um, worry about the disease for her future or not worry about it at all. And that, Laura, okay. that was, can I jump in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That that was actually one of the questions I had. I have um, a lot of people talk about that. What if I have kids? Um, at what sure. point do I um, look and do some sort of test? Do I just look? And what do you recommend for um, parents that have kids? And at what age do you start to worry about that? Sure. I mean, honestly, as soon as uh, a family member is diagnosed, I suggest for the first degree relative, so mother, father, um, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, you know, grandparents, those people should be tested for celiac. So, um, so for instance, just to take your situation for as an example, Jen, your daughter and uh, husband, or um, if you have family members, should probably have the TTG, that antibody test, done every one to two years, um, and maybe for you know, I suggest for a, a daughter for your situation probably to have the genetic test because if she doesn't have the genes she'll never have to test for the disease ever again okay so let me clarify that for the Please. unmedically minded so we have two components of the testing here we have a genetic test that if mm -hmm. it's negative you don't have to everywhere ever worry about it but if it's positive then you should be periodically tested with the ttg test to make sure that you aren't becoming symptomatic it, well, to make sure that, yeah, well, yes, yeah, symptomatic is not necessarily the right word because there's many people that are positive for celiac and have no symptoms at all. So symptoms for celiac disease could, there's around 300 that people talk about. And there are some stages within the disease that actually don't have any presenting symptoms, yet mm -hmm. maybe the biopsy or the villi might be somewhat damaged, you know, so, does, I hope that clarifies. Right. So, because what's happening, I guess, is you're, you're damaging them as you go, and then right. eventually it gets to a point that you become symptomatic. Is that what happens? Is that kind of how Potentially, it works? yeah. Uh-huh, okay. potentially. So you, don't, so you don't want to consider yourself okay, even though you're not having any kind of dietary or digestive issues. You don't want to yep. just assume that you haven't begun to have exactly. it. Exactly. Even though it is genetic, you could go your whole life and never... Yep. Um, never have symptoms. The The important point too is that it's not just GI symptoms. Or it could be um, things, there's a lot of connected autoimmune diseases. Like for instance, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. And that would be something that if you have type 1 diabetes, your first degree relatives should be screened for celiac actually. Um, because autoimmune diseases travel kind of in packs, um, it's something that we suggest very highly. About I, I believe the latest statistics are about 8% of people with, with type 1 diabetes also have celiac disease. That's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. So not to back the train up too far, Take this it back, may be Don. some of that misinformation you were talking about earlier, but I've heard through who who knows where that mm -hmm. celiac disease is a food allergy. It sounds like there's a right. lot more involved here, though. Is that way off the mark or is that just kind of a comparison or is that complete misinformation? That's a great, great question. So celiac disease is a form of intolerance, technically not a food allergy. They're they're somewhat different. Um, so, um, and, and I guess I just want to clarify, people could have a wheat allergy and not have celiac disease. They're different, different, um, totally different diseases. So, okay. so the point is it, celiac disease is a gluten intolerance and it's, um, your body attacks itself. In an allergy, histamine is brought, is produced and your body attacks that protein. So it's kind of a different, it's a different, um, pathway in your body. Right. So, uh, celiac is, is a triggering of a response completely within your body 
unto itself from an outside source as opposed to your body taking action on that outside source. Yep, exactly, exactly. Your explanation really was smart probably way more clear, but uh, that was just my words. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think I think it's actually your your explanation is equally as clear. Well, I have <laughs> a question. Um, d- I guess to both of you, Jennifer, you said that you were sick for a year, and that mm-hmm. that is a short period of time. So this thing yep. is difficult to diagnose. Does it masquerade as other things? Well, actually, in research, that it's been in, or I guess I should say, um, more data is showing that. There was, I, I want to say statistics showed like an average of eight years that it took to diagnose. And it's wow. not necessarily because um, of the patient. It might be because of misinformation. Again, possibly physicians previously were not as informed about celiac disease and didn't know how to diagnose it. And so now there is is definitely more of an understanding of how to diagnose it. And so there's less of a um, kind of time to diagnose. There's, you know, everything from, so just kind of to put it all in perspective, celiac disease, again, I mentioned it affects absorption of that small intestine and absorption of two major nutrients, one iron and second, um, two calcium. So people would go you know, to their doctors, different doctors to figure out why they were iron deficient or why they were anemic. And, you know, years of taking oral iron and not having any resolution. And then finally, people were diagnosed with celiac disease and complete resolution and and were healthy. So the point is, it manifests in different ways, you know, um, also with um, osteoporosis. So people had an inability to absorb calcium because of celiac disease and then went to different specialists to figure out why their, you know, bones were weak and what was the source of or the reason for osteoporosis and it again because of celiac disease just one more example i want to mention is infertility um you know infertility has been linked with celiac disease as well which is totally not a gi cause and you know um, women would come to figure out of different specialists and figure out why they would not be fertile and uh, again once diagnosed with celiac disease gone on a gluten-free diet and then able to have babies so it's a it's a really fascinating disease because, again, it manifests in so many different ways. So gluten-free wow. diet is the cure? It is the as treatment? far as, well, I guess, good question. Um, good choice of words, I should say. Um, cure at this point, yes. There is no other cure for celiac disease besides a gluten-free diet. Um, treatment, yes. The only treatment, and, and I want to mention this, and this is very important, and there's a lot of speculation for different enzymes or different um, drugs that are potentially going to be produced. And maybe in the future, that could be an option. But at this point right now, the only treatment is, is the gluten-free diet. So it's similar to this, like we had, like I said, the sleep specialist on uh, who was talking about the CPAP machine to help people who have sleep apnea. It relieves the symptoms, but it doesn't cure the root cause. So... If you get on a gluten-free diet, your celiac problem doesn't go away. You just quit doing the thing that causes you to have the issues. That's a good point. So, the, the yeah, I mean, there is the – it is the only treatment that we know of. Um, you can't – once you're in remission – so. I should mention these villi that are damaged are then recovered completely once you're oh. on a gluten-free diet. Um but that doesn't mean that you can go again and have gluten-containing foods in the future because as soon as you consume gluten-containing foods, then you're, you would be back to square one. And is, right. do the symptoms return immediately? The symptoms, well, so again, because there are not necessarily um, symptoms correlated with the disease, the disease activity starts immediately, but it doesn't necessarily cause symptoms. I want to mention, too, that some people go their whole life without any symptoms, are diagnosed with the disease, then go on the diet and are healthy, and then by accident have some inadvertent exposure, and then actually do have symptoms. So it's pretty, it's fascinating. I mean, there's a lot of variables with it. So let's talk. We've, we've, we've thrown the phrase out there, gluten-free. And again, if we have the, the non-celiac, non-gluten-aware people, even though it's getting more and more common, we have sure. an Outback Steakhouse near here where we live that has a gluten-free uh, menu that uh, Jen likes to go to. In the, in the Outback that has it? 
Jen? Yep, sure yep. is. Yeah, they have. Go ahead. No, as I say, uh, Outback and a number of other chains have gluten-free menus available in all their restaurants, but there's one here where someone on staff has celiac, and so they've come up with an additional extra gluten-free menu that includes things that aren't normally on their menu, like a blooming onion and things like that that you couldn't get at every Outback. So it's wonderful. That's cool. <laughs> so, um, so let's. We talked about what celiac is now. So now everybody out there listening knows at least the high level what celiac is. So, what is gluten and what is a gluten-free diet? Sure. So, gluten is technically a, a general name for the storage protein in wheat, rye, and barley. So, a gluten-free diet technically is avoiding wheat, rye, barley, and their derivatives. I want to mention oats. Oats are something that is also kind of coupled with these other grains. Oats historically had some problem that you weren't able to tolerate them. People with celiac disease weren't able to tolerate them. However, now we're finding they're actually safe. The problem is the cross-contamination. So um, there's oat fields and wheat fields that are rotated, you know, crop rotation, and there's a lot of, of potential cross-contamination. So as a uh, food product, we suggest to avoid avoid oats unless they are the pure and uncontaminated oats. And there's a variety of companies that make those now. Yeah, my wife uh, is a, a caterer of sorts, and uh, she found out one of the organizations that she caters for has somebody who is, uh, has celiac disease, and and we've been on the the quest to search for gluten-free things and and uh that was one of the things that we just discovered that it's not just any oats you have to get yep. the right oats right, right exactly and you would be surprised you know since we have jen we have jen as a close friend we also have another close friend Kristen, that is has celiac uh and i and i just violated you know i did a phi um personal health information <laughs> violation there by broadcasting that over in Tower world sorry Kristen. um but anyway it's not, What's it's not a secret name, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring a house of them but uh yeah, so we, you know, we've learned to cook a little more gluten-free things, and it, you're, it's surprising where it'll sneak in on you. Um, you know, yes. on ranch-style beans. You know, why do you need to put gluten in your ranch-style beans? They're beans. You should just have beans in your ranch-style beans. Uh, but, but no, there's, there's in the sauce. Yeah, exactly. So certain varieties of that. So, so now that we know what celiac is, we know. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, no, I was just going to go off of that. I know a lot of people when they're diagnosed or they know someone who's diagnosed, they say, oh, so you can't have bread or pasta or brownies for dessert. Um, but that's all the extent of their knowledge is. So I figured, Laura, you have a lot of experience with um, people looking for um, items they can eat on their gluten-free diet. So I was just going to ask what um, other types of food include gluten that folks probably don't think about. I know a soy sauce is one that people are often right. surprised about. Yeah. Um, so I think. <laughs> um, wheat, you'd be surprised, is in, uh, and I want to say wheat because really, you know, rye and barley, barley navigates into things, but wheat is in everything from hot dogs to lunch meats to um, soy sauce. You mentioned a lot of sauces, um, soup bases, like, uh, you know, many um, soups, especially in restaurants, they use wheat in a soup base to make it thicker um, at, at a variety of restaurants that make omelets. Actually, they sometimes use um, pancake mix in the batter. So, you know, it, it meanders into a lot of things. But with that, it um, I think with proper education and, you know, as a dietitian, that's the goal of mine to, you know, clarify misconceptions and really get consumers to understand messages. So as a dietitian for people with celiac disease, um, to understand that it's really not hard once you figure out a few, you know, easy tips to understand how to navigate through gluten-free things. So just, I want to mention also, by the way, I, I don't have celiac disease, but I've educated on this diet for, you know, some years now, but I've probably tried a million products easily of, of gluten-free products. And there are some amazing alternatives to wheat containing foods. And um, there's just some grains that are, um, I think important to mention that are naturally gluten-free and healthy and people could 
if you have celiac disease or not, include them in their diet. And one being quinoa, and quinoa is, is spelled Q-U-I-N-O-A, but it's um, a grain that has a lot of fiber and a lot of protein. And, you know, people on a gluten-free diet that are supposed to take away wheat, rye, and barley from their, their diet you don't want to just replace your diet with a lot of rice and potato and corn-based foods because naturally those are not the healthiest options. And um, then you end up eating a lot of refined carbohydrate foods, which are not necessarily the best choices. And um, there's a big push, as many know, just listening to the media, a big push for whole grains and higher fiber things. So none of these are, are good choices. So you mean quinoa french fries is- aren't the side of choice for celiacs? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for more reasons than one. Quinoa is a super grain. Quinoa is technically a pseudo grain, they call it. So it's like not necessarily a real grain, but it's a cereal, I guess. A pseudo cereal is what... It's like Venus some- sausages aren't real sausages. <laughs> same kind of idea. Like spam isn't real meat. Yes, yeah. yeah, so, right. Exactly. Quinoa so, is wonderful, uh, though. I sent you an article... Um, a couple of weeks ago, Laura, you know, that's actually I had somebody had sent to me that was from a cardiologist, I think, in up in Oklahoma City that was pretty much bashing wheat in general for human consumption. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was kind of it was an interesting article. I, you know, I don't know how it was. Lot, it was very anecdotal. I actually sent it to a cardiologist that I worked to. And that was his main concern was that it was all anecdotal evidence. Right. And and you came back and said, you know, that if I to paraphrase you, that, that wheat in and of itself is not deadly to every person, that we shouldn't you know shun it and call it an, an evil grain or something like that. And that's a total paraphrase. You didn't say anything that goofy. But um, <laughs> so my question is, <laughs> is, is a gluten-free diet better for everybody, you know, based on that little exchange and that I just said, Great. probably not necessarily. Is it, should everybody be looking to be eating gluten-free, gluten-free or reducing the amount of wheat intake or, or how, how does that seem to I'm so happy you asked that question. So because it is probably a question that I get easily once a week. Um, So no, a gluten-free diet is not a cure-all for weight management. It's not a, you know, a, a kind of magic cure for anything besides celiac disease. I really can't, I, I can't stress that enough that especially just based on what I was just talking about, that the fact is that most of these natural, most of these, excuse me, um, engineered gluten-free foods. So meaning the ones that are necessary for, um, gluten-free dieters are again, really high in refined carbohydrates and not and a lot of times added fats and um just and potentially right. sugars to make them taste better it's so like the fat free fig newton it, you know, or snack it, wells you know yeah, there's the, a lot the fat free fig newtons that are like a thousand calories per newton because it's solid sugar but they're fat free you know that same right. kind of thing and, I got, you got to watch out for that right and then not and not saying that they're not important because they're definitely those a lot of these choices are are vital for and again a lot of them taste very good and they're important for people that are on a gluten-free diet however taking in excess you could definitely start gaining weight and um it's just not a, a healthy diet and i can't stress enough again that you know naturally gluten-free foods like fruits vegetables um meats and natural dairy products so so things that are in their natural form um or haven't been been um um engineered or um i'm sorry i'm stumbling on the words you know processed in a way that you know those are in their natural form are safe for celiacs and everyone and should be encouraged well let me turn that question around uh is a person on a uh, a gluten-free diet missing anything? Are there anything they need to supplement? Great question. So that's why I turn to these kind of better choices on a gluten-free diet. So like quinoa is a great example. Buckwheat is actually not related to wheat and is a safe alternative for celiacs. And oats, I mean, those three grains, oats, so if they're pure and uncontaminated, oats are a wonderful source of soluble fiber, which helps for digestion it helps for blood sugar control um you know it helps with cholesterol management so trying to add those 
grains as much as possible would be wonderful. And that's a fine thing for everyone to do. But whole wheat in general is a, you know, when if you are not on a gluten-free diet or if you don't have celiac disease, it's a big um, source of B vitamins, um, iron, folate. So there's, you know, which is a B vitamin. Um, so it's an important nutrient source. And, and really, if you don't need to be on this diet, I, I really had, I, I suggest you really to continue to eat whole grain and whole wheat things. Right. So why, why uh, limit yourself and make yourself jump through a bunch of hoops to attempt to get the nutrition you need when you don't have to, if you well, don't have and to. Also, yeah. And also, especially for young kids, like I have, I've, you know, primarily counsel families and and pediatrics and you know for adults that want to that choose this diet just because for their children one it, it really limits them for their you know for their life and they're educated in the beginning of their life that they have to be on this diet and if they don't really have to be i think that that's really important and two it really decreases the um need for it for so if people that have celiac disease and actually need to be on this diet they have to be very careful and you know i didn't mention at all about cross-contamination and and how careful do you have to be but there's statistics that show one six between one sixty fourth of a teaspoon and one um, half of a teaspoon. So that's pretty wide range, but that's the level of cross contamination that could potentially, you know, m cause this chain reaction that goes on in our gut to to spur the celiac to be active again. So wow. it's really well, a, half a, a teaspoon between half of a teaspoon. Between half of a teaspoon and one sixty fourth of a teaspoon. That's right. like the it's it's that's the range, and yeah. you know it's a it's a pretty small range, and so that's an important point to understand. So, uh, is it an issue if I go to a restaurant where uh, a bakery, right, and I get something gluten free? Uh, it, because the tolerances are so low, is that a bad idea? Do I need to stay away from places that even process regular you want, grains? Right. You want to be really careful. And, 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 you know, some bakeries don't use yeast in their mixes because there's so much in the air, you know. And so that kind of goes along the lines with if there's that much flour that's airborne and, you know, if there it's a bakery that is working with flour, so wheat containing flour so frequently, I would really just caution the practices. There's definitely some bakeries that I know that are very strict with their cross-contamination and have one room that is dedicated for gluten-free things, but just understand how small of a level of cross-contamination it could be or, or um, amount that could cause this damage to occur. So, in, again, in patients with celiac disease, I would just use caution for those things. And there's definitely, we were talking about restaurants, there's definitely restaurants that add, that execute a gluten-free menu wonderfully and are, are totally great places to go. But then there's also places that have a gluten-free menu but don't necessarily know what to do with it and the staff is not necessarily trained. So my suggestion to people with gluten-free on a gluten-free diet is to really call ahead when you're going to a restaurant having some sort of tangible physical um material that says what you can and can't have that you can bring in with you when you go to the restaurant and then double check like three or four times when you order when you know with a manager when they bring the plate of food to you and ask again so you can never be too careful and just by asking all of those questions to the manager to the wait staff you get a good feel for their understanding of how serious it can be in the restaurant so sure well, uh, Laura, I just have to say, you know, I always try to do my research on my guests if I don't know them personally. And there's quite a few things out there on the web that mention your name, obviously tied with the University of Chicago. And one of the, the little blurbs says you're a marathoner. Is that correct? I, I am a marathoner. And if you could see in the um, space behind me in my office, I have my little plaques on, on the wall. <laughs> but, That's awesome. Um, I had I have run three marathons. I can also see that your office is only big enough to have those plaques. And <laughs> it's a, well, it's a great case for me. Well, that's, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever get to the marathon or not, but that's running is something I've in the last year taken up. And uh, 
and Don has been doing his fair share of it as well. I know Jen's done some running in the past. And um, so anybody that's run a marathon always gets, um, you know, props to use the, <laughs> the hip hop word uh, from, from me. So is there any resources, just jumping straight to it, is there any, because our time is running short, I don't want to take up your whole evening. Are there any resources on the web other than the stuff at the University of Chicago that you typically direct people to or you would like to um, give a little mention of and then we could include in the show notes maybe or some websites or something like that? Sure. You know, I think the, well, the Celiac Disease Center, so it's celiacdisease.net, I think is an excellent, um, really one-stop shop for celiac. I I do think also there's um, the American Celiac Disease Alliance, so ACDA is um, a great, um, just to understand um, just some what the legal manifestations with celiac disease, what kind of what laws are being governed. I think it's a great another just resource for um, people. And then I also. Sec- what, what was that second sorry. URL again? Sure, second it's one? the American Celiac Disease Alliance. So it's ACDA. ACDA. net. Oh, you know, oh, I, ADA I, is the American Cosmetic Dental Association. So I don't it's think that's what we'll Google like, that and put it in the it's show. It's probably .org. Then we'll figure that out between the four okay. IT people that are on here. I bet you we can figure it out. Thanks. <laughs> was there another one that you were going to mention before I interrupt you? No, no, no problem. Um, no, I think that those are kind of the, you know, the, I think those are the uh, great resources. There's tons of food product resources out there as well, but um, you know, I think that's the best ones to mention. All right. Well, is the one last question that I and I think you've already touched on it quite a bit um, in some of the other things you mentioned. So I don't even know if it's it's the, that necessary to ask the question. But the last question I have, because this is a show where we're trying to encourage people to be active and and be fit and to be healthy. Mm-hmm. So I know I've got some people that are listening that are that are overweight and have celiac disease. Sure. So if I'm that person and I'm I'm trying I'm struggling to to lose weight and everything that they tell me to eat on every show and every podcast I listen to about getting in shape has wheat in it and they're telling me to eat whole grains and all that. What are some things that um that I should shoot for? I mean, because you've already mentioned it before to watch out on some of the replacement foods about having, um, you know, using their overprocessed yeah. foods, lots of calories and that kind right. of thing. But just kind of jump on top of that, if you would. Well, I think again, I can't stress enough the the value and the importance of fruits and vegetables. And I know that sounds, you know, of course she says that as a dietitian, but um, really the moderation of things that are higher in calories. So you know the these. Um, gluten-free alternatives that might not necessarily best be the best nutrition have them. They're important to consume, but really just watch the quantity. Um, and then, uh, you know, also that protein sources, a lot of meats and things are prepared with high, with more fats. And so, mm-hmm. you know, having those things in moderation. Um, so that would be kind of the most important things, but also exercise. I mean, I can't, I mean, you know, my personal um, motivation myself, but I think staying active is always part of the equation when you're talking about weight management and you can eat all the right foods, but, you know, having that level of activity helps maintain lean body mass that helps us decrease our, you know, that helps with metabolism. So that's just as important. Well, uh, I think that's obviously. I mean, that's uh, that's the key to it, and I think you you hit it on the head as far as if you can eat those. <laughs> we're backing up. I'm I'm jumping back to where you were earlier. You said you know fruits are naturally gluten free and they're great for everybody. <laughs> you know vegetables are naturally <laughs> gluten free and they're great for everybody. I mean, we right. can make those kind of smart choices. That kind of takes the whole the whole uh, issue out of it and to, to a big 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 extent. Now I can't talk either. So do you have anything else you want to, you know, I'd love if you have anything else that we haven't asked or Jen, do you have any other questions or Don or Mark before we let you go? um, What else might, might benefit the listeners out there? Jen, do you have any more questions or did she answer all your questions before you even asked them? I think she answered most of my questions. I do want to say that for my, in my experience, I did get connected with a, uh, 
CELIAC support group, which can sound kind of cheesy, but has been great because there are a lot of resources that they offer, especially for newly diagnosed people, um, and often have get-togethers where they exchange recipes or go to restaurants um, and have extensive conversations about their cross-contamination and their policies. So um, I think it's really helpful to get connected um, locally with other people in your community. So I would recommend looking into a support group. And how would I do that? Would I just use the Googles? Just I would Google, just use the Google. Just, okay. Or just Mark, call Don, Laura you have and any, ask her. any last question? <laughs> what was that, Mark? I said just call Laura and ask her. She seems to know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don or Mark, do you, want, do you guys have a question? No? No. They're just looking at me, so I guess not. But go ahead, Laura. I was just I was just gonna say I just want to mention in my addition in my in addition to my work at University of Chicago, I have my own private practice and I have a nutrition blog. Um, mm-hmm. but my website is feedkids.com. Um, and I ha- you know, find me on Facebook and Twitter and I always I try to preach about family nutrition, but also gluten-free and, and, and you know, aller- food allergy management is kind of meanders in there as well. Well, one of our future show topics that I've actually try- been trying to get someone lined up for, maybe if we can steal some of your time again, maybe after the first of the year, is um, childhood obesity. Sure. And oh, I'd love, love to talk about it. So, you know, a lot of... A lot of big people end up with big kids because their own bad eating habits can trickle down. Yep. And, and uh, Most definitely. I'm raising so, my hand on that one, sadly. Yeah, Mark was waving at me on that one. So uh, that was one of the things that actually motivated me was my son being active and me wanting to be able to keep it with him and not instead of me feeding him and slowing him down. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, really, well, it's really important. Well, Laura, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being with, you, you. with us. I think you answered... Lots of people's questions, and I uh, I anticipate this being a highly downloaded show. So, um, great. I'm going to spread the word, and I'll I'll send you the link to it. Um, That'd be great. Once once it's up and 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 edited and, and ready to go, if you want to pass it on to anybody else that may be interested in, in listening and hearing a conversation about this. So, most definitely. Well, thank you for having me here. It's a, a great great. I'm glad. Always happy to spread the word about celiac disease. Thanks, Laura. Thank Have you. All right, that was uh, Laura Field from the University of Chicago again with us today. Obviously, the lady knows what she's talking about about celiac and is in the in the trenches, so to speak, on the cutting edge of this uh, up there at the University of Chicago and everything. And thanks again to Jen for being with us. Jen, thanks for making the drive and coming in and, and being part of the show today. My pleasure. And so this is the part of the show where we get to give a couple of tips. And I just want to be up front with everybody. These are probably going to end at the end of the year because I'm out of tips. I'm digging, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm scratching, you know, low-hanging fruit. I'm now getting a long ladder, climbing to the top of the tree and shaking the last branch. Now, Aaron, <laughs> the approach is, you're going about this wrong. It's people, please send us tips. If you send them, we'll keep giving them. That's right. We will. So, <clears throat> my eat less tip today is very simple. And actually, our guest, Laura, even mentioned it and to some degree. She's talked about fruits are great gluten-free snack, are great, a great gluten-free food. Well, my eat less tip today is simply this, apples. You know, pickles used to be my snack of choice, and I still love them. But, man, I have just gone crazy on the apples. And uh, they're really good for you. We had an article in the news a while back about how um, white fruits are particularly good for preventing, I believe it was stroke and a couple of other uh, types of disease. So apples are one of those white fruits. They're great for you, great source of nutrition. Um, you know, they, they have all kinds of things that are supposed to be healthy for you in them. They're made of fruit. they got to be healthy. And they're they're portable, and they're portion sized and they're not too expensive if you buy them by the bag like we do we buy the big old huge bag of them and so i take them to work that's my, a lot of times it's my afternoon snack i'll be my i'll eat one with breakfast um so apples i love them mark don jen do you guys any an apple fan like me <laughs> apple fan <laughs> sorry i was gonna uh, i was gonna say it's apple picking sign apple picking time too yeah it is here in the georgia mountains you can go pick your own apples and we did it and they were good and don't write off apples just because you've had the waxy, red, not very tasty ones from the grocery store. Go in and look for the ones that have goofy names like Brayburn and Fiji and Pink Lady and mm-hmm. all this kind of crazy stuff. There's tons of different flavors of just apples. So you're, try them out. You're, you're exactly right. There are. I mean, I didn't realize until we went apple picking all those different 
ones that there actually are. Then and the, the black mamba, I don't even know, but they're uh, they're they're and they all taste different. The green ones, the yellow ones, the deli- golden delicious, the red ones. So Don black hit that mamba being on the, the only poisonous apple on the planet, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, stay away from the black mamba. Yeah, those are bad. <laughs> so our exercise more tip, and we we've touched on this months ago. Um, it's something I've been doing a little bit of just because of my injury is a uh, high intensity interval training. If you haven't done that before, it will kick your tail, but it's supposedly really, really good for you. And, uh, it's kind of, you can break up the monotony. If you're somebody that goes and runs three miles, you can do some high intensity interval training or hit as they call it. If you just Google H I I T, there's all kinds of stuff you can read about it and all the benefits of it. It boosts your metabolism, helps burn fat, keeps lean muscle mass, all kinds of benefit. And it's something you can you can mix up your workout with so you don't just do the same old same old. So I'd recommend trying high intensity interval training hit, like I said. So uh, Mark, before you do your spiel, I'm going to mention one more time the send us an email contest. We're still waiting for those emails to start pouring in. They're just trickling right now. It's a, it's a minor trickle. Uh, so minor that we only have one and it was an accident. I think the guy was meant to send it to Walmart to the complaint department. It came to me instead. I don't know how it happened, but uh, just kidding, of course. So send in an email telling us a success story that you've had on being healthy and getting fit or changing your diet, or send us a question, and we will find a guest like like Laura. I keep wanting to call her Dr. Laura, wrong person, like Laura, uh, that knows the answers. So send in those questions and or success stories, and you can win one of three fabulous prizes, which are a T-shirt that has not been uh, designed or created yet. A hat like the one Mark styling that only me, Don, and Jen can see. Element OP embroidered hat, or even your very own road ID. So if you have some kind of roadside issues and you suddenly are struck dumb and can't talk, people will be able to know who you are. Uh, RoadID.com, check that out. So anyway, now Mark, jump in there. Short and sweet. ElementOP.com. Find our other podcasts, our forums. Uh, find other people like yourself. Join the conversation and become a part of the Element OP community. You can also find us on uh, Facebook. You, uh, 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 what's that other one? Twitter. Uh, Ustream, uh, where we where we put most of our live shows when it's working, except we didn't tonight. So just search for Element and OP. And I've done this. I've searched for Element and OP, and we're like the top ten on every page. So that's us. There you go. And if you wanted to call that number, you could dial 559-I-AM-OPI and actually leave us a voicemail. And that will also be included in the contest if you don't like to send email because you're anti-email. You have to and do a bad to, Italian accent, though. You have to do the accent. And if you want to... Uh, that, was, if you, that was Lawrence Welk. Yeah, it was. And a one, and a two. And you can always email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at onemealoneworkout.com. Uh, if you want to email something to me directly and or for one of the other guys, and I will pass the word on. If you have a question for Dr. Laura that you didn't get in because we were not streaming because we had technical difficulties, send it to me, and I will forward it to Dr. L- Dr. Laura. I'm calling her Dr. Laura again, to Laura Field, and I'm sure she would be happy to answer. She's extremely um, willing to help and passionate about what she's doing. So for Laura Field, Jen, Don, Mark, myself, and Nathaniel coming in and out of the room, uh, that's it for tonight. Remember, before starting any exercise or diet program that's recommended, you consult your health care provider.